Well, today we're wrapping up our series in the book of Colossians by looking at Colossians chapter 4, uh, verses 5 and 6. Why don't you go ahead and turn there? Go real slow. Turn real slow <laughs> to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to read that here in just a couple of minutes. In this series, we've seen how Paul, in multiple ways, has exalted the supremacy of Christ, uh, letting us know that Christ is supreme over everything, that all of life and all of faith are about Jesus. He has the preeminence. Today, we're going to see that Christ is to have the supremacy in our interactions with people who are not part of the church, with those who are outside the church. How we conduct ourselves around people who aren't believers, how we communicate with people who have not received Christ, these are matters that Paul was very concerned about. These are matters that God is very concerned about. God cares how we engage with people who don't know him. And we're to give Christ his proper place of supremacy in our engagement with those who are outside the faith. We are not free to conduct ourselves any old way that we see fit with people who don't know Jesus. We aren't to conduct ourselves however we prefer. The supremacy of Christ requires that we conduct ourselves in the way that God prefers. How we bear witness for Christ with non-Christians is extremely important to God. So I've called today's message, Christian Witness and the Supremacy of Christ. So let's look now at Colossians 4, 5, and 6, just two verses, and here's what they say. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Pause. Pretending that I'm letting the verse sink in. (laughs) Breathing deeply. All right. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. When it comes to how we engage with those outside the church, Paul tells us that we need wisdom. Wisdom. Interacting with those outside the faith isn't something that we're to engage in Uh, casually, carelessly, without really thinking it through. It is something that requires us to use wisdom. And wisdom is simply sound judgment. And what we really need when we're interacting with those outside the church is godly wisdom. Judgment, discernment that comes from the Lord himself. Now, godly wisdom leads us to some pretty clear guidelines on how to interact with those who are outside of the faith. It's true that in specific situations, we're going to need specific guidance from God, but here are some general wisdom principles that I want to share with you today when it comes to interacting with those outside the church, interacting with those outside the faith. First of all, Christians need to be humble and Christians need to be tactful, humble and tactful. There is very little that does more damage to the cause of Christ than arrogance. Arrogance. I remember as a teenager working in a restaurant, we were located near a pretty well-known church in our area, 
And, and people from the church would come to our restaurant after their worship services, and honestly, they were among the most arrogant people that I had ever interacted with. It, it was really deplorable. They would move tables around without asking. If you've ever done that, that's a bad thing. <laughs> don't, don't do that. On one occasion, one of them bragged to me about how expensive his suit was. And he informed me that it was a gift from the king. I was a Christian, and I hated it when these people came into our restaurant. Hated it. The lack of humility was appalling, and it was very damaging to their witness to Christ. And so as we interact with those outside the church, we need to be humble. Our actions have to be marked by humility, and we need to be tactful. A tact is simply sensitivity in dealing with other people. We've got to learn to discern what is appropriate in each and every situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, at the same restaurant I mentioned a minute ago, and I've shared this story before, so I apologize to those of you who have heard it, but uh, one of the waitresses was having a bad day. It was an extremely busy day. And one of the main things she was having trouble with is getting around to all of her tables. Uh, she, she was having trouble giving people proper service because we were so busy and we were understaffed and she had all these different tables. And, and this one Christian at this one table saw that she was having a bad time. And so his approach to help her out was to stop her. In the middle, in middle of her frantic run from one table to the other, grab her hand, hold her at his table, and pray for her. Well, that's failing to be tactful. It's not a good read on the situation. I hope you'll understand this is nothing against prayer. Prayer is good. But praying for someone who you have no idea what their openness to prayer is in the middle of a crowded restaurant is lacking in tactfulness. Praying directly for someone who's having a bad day because they can't get from point A to point B quick enough and you've just stopped them in the middle is not a good idea. It's not helpful. She was very uh, sweet. She came back in the area where servers talk about their <laughs> patrons. <laughs> and because I know that, I know I've probably been talked about many times. And, uh, and she said, it was a sweet thought, but not right now. Don't do that now. The intentions were likely good, but tact was greatly lacking. As we deal with those outside the church Christian, we need humility and we need tact. And one of the great needs we have as Christians interacting with those outside the church is the good sense to know when to speak and when to remain silent. And I want to give us a, a good rule of thumb. And I know most of you know this, so I, I don't mean this to come off any, uh, you know, condescending in any way. Uh, it's just a reminder. We should speak only when we know what we're talking about. <laughs> and we should remain silent on the topic at hand when it's something that we know nothing about. Good rule of thumb. Good rule of thumb. If a coworker is trying to engage you in a discussion about the age of the earth, and the best you have is that your Uncle Jethro told you that carbon dating is a bunch of liberal mumbo-jumbo, 
it would be best to just not wade very deep into the conversation. It's better to say, you know, I have my belief about that, but it's not something I've done a lot of study about. So I'll just leave it, I'll just leave it there. Even if the topic has nothing to do with the Bible or faith, if we don't know what we're talking about, it's always best to remain silent. We don't have to have an opinion on everything. We do incredible damage to our witness when our mouths run ahead of the knowledge that we have on the topic that our mouth is saying so much about. It's not a good thing. As we interact with those outside the church, we need godly wisdom, we need to be humble and tactful, and we need the sensitivity of when to speak and when to be silent, and we need to be people who listen well. Here's how most of us communicate. I I have seen this, and many people over the years, and sadly, many people have probably seen it from me. While the other person is talking, we are paying just enough attention to convince them that we're listening, while what we're actually doing is waiting for them to stop so that we can say what we've been thinking we want to say when they stop. That's how a lot of people communicate. Most of us are guilty of this sometimes. Some of us are guilty of this almost all the time. And here's a way that we as Christians can stand out from the crowd in a way that honors Christ, and that is we can listen well to everyone. We can listen well to those that we're communicating with that are outside the church, outside the faith. Listening well allows us to truly understand uh, what someone is saying before we respond to them. Listening well shows respect to someone who's created in the image of God and loved by God. And listening well gives us insight into how we can most effectively interact with this person in a way that might open them up to Jesus Christ. There's so much more that could be said here in this section of the message, uh, such as the importance of honesty and upright business practices and guarding our witness with those outside the church. But, But these few things, humility, tactfulness, Sensitivity when and when not to speak and listening well are things that will serve us well in every setting, in every context where we are interacting with those outside the church. If you are here today and you're not a Christian and you've interacted with a Christian or a number of Christians who violated any of these things that we've talked about here this morning, I am very sorry about that. I I, I really am sorry about that. And I would ask that you forgive us for that. Please do not hold us, do not hold the Christians who did that to you against Jesus. The fact is, we struggle to represent him well sometimes. We really do. In fact, the whole reason that we've turned to him to save us is because we've actually come to the realization at how bad we are at being the people that he wants us to be. And we don't offer this as some kind of an excuse. It's just an acknowledgement of the reality of our lives. We, we don't represent him the way we should a lot of the time. But it's something we want to do better at, and it's something we're committed to doing better at. And so Paul tells us to be wise in the way we act toward outsiders. And then he says, make the most of every opportunity. Christians are to be alert constantly 
for opportunities to work for Christ and serve others in the name of Christ. The context that Paul uh, gives us this, uh, uh, this assignment to, to look, uh, make the most of every opportunity is within this instruction of how we are to act toward outsiders. As we go about our lives, we're to be attentive to the opportunities that are around us to influence other people for Jesus. Christians are not supposed to be people who lower their head and go from point A to point B with no interest in what's going on around them. Christians are to be people who are actively looking for every opportunity to bear witness for Christ in word or deed. And here's the truth. Opportunities can come to us at absolutely any time. And if we're not attentive to them, we can very easily miss them. Christians are people who walk into Lowe's and say, God, if there is an opportunity in this store to influence someone for Christ, lead me to that opportunity, I pray. I'm watching. I'm open. I'll do it. Christians are people who go to the soccer fields and they say, God, if there's an opportunity you want to present to me with one of these other parents here today, I'll be paying attention and I'll take that opportunity. Christians are people who see the wait time at the, uh, at the auto shop where you're getting your oil changed as a, as a time not just to bury your head in the newspaper, but a time to, to interact with those who are also in the waiting room, seeing if God might have a divine appointment for you in that place, seeing if there might be an opportunity that opens up to bear witness for Jesus. And it can be very simple how we transition from missing opportunities to seizing opportunities. It, it can be as easy as transitioning from saying, oh, I'm sorry about that, to someone who's opened up and shared a difficulty in their life, to saying, I'm going to pray for you later tonight about that. Or if you're really bold, would you be comfortable if I prayed for you right now? If they say no, okay, I'll pray for you later. But if they say yes, you can seize that moment right then, right there. It can be as simple as saying, uh, as asking someone who shares a difficulty in their life, are you a member of a faith community that's been supporting you during that time? Maxie Dunham says Christians are people who are to be alert to Christ and for Christ in every moment of their lives. Are you alert to Christ in every moment? Constantly aware of him. On some level, constantly interacting with him. Constantly communicating with him. Constantly aware of your role as an ambassador for Christ and constantly open to your next assignment for him. Are you alert for Christ in every moment? Constantly open to the promptings of the Spirit. Constantly being willing to act on the cause of the king, for the cause of the kingdom of God in every situation. Christianity is not a clock-in, clock-out thing. Christianity is life. It is every single moment of every single day. The supremacy of Christ means we're alert constantly to Christ and for Christ. And it also means that we seize the critical moment when Christ places an opportunity in front of us 
to bear witness for him. We don't have to force the moment. We, we, we don't have to like artificially try to make a moment happen, but we do have to be alert and seize the critical moment when God presents it. Christ's supremacy and how we interact with those outside the church means we employ godly wisdom and it means that we actively look for opportunities to bear witness for Jesus. If Christ is supreme in our interactions with the world, it results in these things. So ask yourself, is Christ supreme in my interactions with with those outside the church? Am I constantly uh, using godly wisdom in how I interact with people? And am I looking for every opportunity that I can seize for Christ? And then verse six, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. If Christ is exalted to his proper place, our conversations with non-Christians will be full of grace. Full of grace. We're going to be kind. We're going to be gracious. We're not going to be inclined to fight. Instead, we're going to be inclined toward gentleness and just general graciousness. Basically, we're going to have good manners. We're going to have good manners. And beyond general graciousness, we're going to be people who are quick to share God's grace whenever the time is right. When people share their faults, we're the ones who are to point them to the God of grace. We're the ones who are to assure them that God isn't angry with them, but loves them and wants to forgive them. If you're here and you're not a Christian and you've ever been the victim of a, a person who called themselves a Christian speaking harshly to you, introducing you to judgment and justice rather than grace, if you've ever seen a Christian acting gleefully at the thought of people receiving justice instead of grace, I'm sorry about that. They, they should not have done that. They weren't honoring the heart of God when they did that. They were likely well-intentioned, but horribly misguided. Misunderstanding God's desire for how they should be interacting with those who are outside the church. Here at the Vineyard, we're certainly not perfect at this, but we are always striving to have a full of grace posture toward the world. A full of grace posture toward those who are outside the church, but who we hope will meet Jesus, receive him, and become a part of his body, become a part of his church. If Christ is supreme in our Christian witness, we will be full of grace toward people who don't yet know Jesus. But there's more. Paul goes on and says that our conversations with those outside the church must be seasoned with salt. Seasoned with salt. Now, there are some varying interpretations of exactly what this means. Uh, Some have suggested that uh, to have our speech seasoned with salt means we are to be people who spice up the conversation. How are you doing with that? Christians are to be winsome and fun-loving, people who take take dull and mundane conversation and bring it to life. Now, I have to say, I think that's uh, a valid interpretation. I think Christians actually ought to be those kind of people. 
There's nothing worse than a monotone Christian. It's It's just not a good thing. I say that as someone at that restaurant I was telling you about uh, earlier, my manager would always say to me, Brian, smile, it'll be okay. (laughs) So I'm sympathetic to your struggle. I'm sympathetic. But monotone doesn't work very well when you're telling about the difference Christ has made in your life. I can't tell you how much joy I've had since I came to Jesus. I really hope that you too will experience the same joy that I have. Would you, would you like to now? So I'm all for the spice up the conversation. It's a valid interpretation but I think it's an interpretation of secondary importance. The primary understanding of salt in the first century would have been as a preservative. Salt maintains the integrity of food. Likewise, Christians are people who maintain the integrity of the gospel that Christ has entrusted to us. And we maintain the integrity of the scriptures that God has so graciously given us. This means that Christians are people who are fundamentally concerned with truth. It means Christians are truth tellers. Now we must always tell the truth in a manner that's full of grace. But we must tell the truth. And it's my concern that far too many Christians today are losing their grip on this responsibility to tell the truth. Michelle was in an online forum with a bunch of worship leaders recently and someone made a statement, something to this effect, where truth is contended for, grace is lost. And the comment was hailed by, you know, some of the other participants as a rather brilliant comment. The reality is, it's not a biblically literate statement. Just as our conversation must be full of grace, it must also be seasoned with salt. It must be truthful. And here's something Christians need to have a tight grip on. Grace and truth are not mutually exclusive. Grace and truth are not in conflict with each other. They have no conflict at all with each other. Christian, we must speak full of grace. But we must also have our speech seasoned with salt. We have to be gracious truth tellers. John the Baptist modeled this. He he publicly called out Herod for the sin of adultery. Oh, that would never fly in today's church to to call out a a person who, you know, isn't in your own community for a, a sinful act. That would never fly. John the Baptist, who Jesus, you might remember, said there is no greater man born of woman than John the Baptist publicly called out a political leader for adultery. Peter looked over a crowd of people as he preached the first sermon of the church era and he confronted them with the unjust crucifixion of Jesus. He lumped them in with the evil men who orchestrated Christ's crucifixion. 
He, he was essentially calling the crowd of gathered people evil people. They had not come to faith in Jesus yet. He was telling the truth. And how many of them got saved that day? 3,000 got saved. You can tell the truth in a way that people come to faith in Jesus. And we see this in the Bible. The never tell the truth because that will get you labeled as mean variety of Christianity that is so prevalent today isn't nearly as godly or biblical as its proponents suggest. And it's not nearly as effective as they think because it compromises truth and you really have accomplished very little if you get a big crowd together, but nobody has confronted the truth. And those of you who aren't Christians here today, I am sorry for every instance of speech by a Christian that was not marked by grace. But I have to share with you that Christians are people who have a God-given responsibility to tell the truth. We simply are not able to be people who, who act like we approve of things that God disapproves of. We can't do that. We cannot act like we approve of things God disapproves of for individuals. And we can't act like we approve of things that are destructive for entire peoples and entire nations. That is why it matters for Christians to have a voice in the public square about issues of morality because the Bible says, God says, that sin is a reproach on any people. Not just followers of God, it is a reproach on any people. It does damage to cultures. And so we can't be people who, who just say that, you know, whatever goes. We, we have to be people who tell the truth. Our intention isn't to be a bunch of cranks. It's really not. But we have to be people who tell the truth, whether it's received or whether it is rejected. And we don't tell the truth because we think we're perfect. This is a misconception that's out there, and it may be true of some Christians, but it's not true of most of us, at least if we, if we understand our faith at all. We're not telling the truth because we think we're perfect. We tell the truth because truth matters whether we are perfect or not. Here's an often overlooked reality of Christianity. The only way you genuinely become a Christian is by admitting that you are so broken, so completely messed up, that you have no hope of living in a way that pleases God on your own. And so you turn to Christ for salvation And you turn to Christ for strength to begin a lifetime of growing little by little into a person that hopefully over time looks a little bit more like Jesus. Christians aren't people who think we're perfect. We're people who realize that we are so messed up that we need someone other than ourselves to help us and we recognize that that's Jesus. But we tell the truth and we advocate for what is good and right Because it's only when people realize themselves that that, that failing to live according to God's will 
uh, places them in a position of being broken and needing someone outside of themselves to help them that they are in position to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ and receive God's grace. And so we have to tell the truth. Because to, be, to leave people believing that they're okay with God in their sin is to do the greatest disservice possible to people who are not okay with God in their sin. We find a couple of great case studies from the life of Jesus of interacting with those outside the church in a way that is both full of grace and full of truth. The first one's found in John 8, 1 through 11. We're not going to turn there today, but you can read that on your own if you like. It's the a very famous story from the Bible of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. The religious leaders wanted to stone her, but they also wanted to trap Jesus into violating the law, and so they brought her to Jesus to get his opinion on what should be done. And here's what Jesus did. He looked at them and he said... Let the one of you who is without sin cast the first stone. And if you're familiar with the story, you know that it says the religious leaders went away one at a time, starting with the oldest. Nobody really knows why, but people have speculated because the, the old guy was the first to realize how ridiculous it was that he would put himself in the position of, of being qualified to stone this woman. And then Jesus looked at the woman and said, Woman, where are they? Where are those who would condemn you? Has no one condemned you? She replied to him, No one. And then Jesus answered, Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus, of course, had the right to condemn her. Jesus was the one in the story that was without sin. He, he had every right to condemn her, but he didn't. That's what you call being full of grace. But that's where the story stops with most people, at least in their telling of it. That's where most Christians today seem to want to cut off the story. But you see, Jesus didn't stop there. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Not condemning someone doesn't mean you, you like just say, hey, whatever goes. Jesus did not condemn her. But he said very clearly, you've got to stop doing this. Go, leave your life of sin. Salt, truth. Neither do I condemn you, full of grace. Leave your life of sin, salt. He extended grace, but he didn't compromise truth because Jesus knows grace and truth aren't mutually exclusive. And Jesus knew that it's a very gracious thing to guide someone away from sin. It's a very gracious thing. You can see this again in Jesus' interaction with a woman at the well in John 4. She was a Samaritan woman. Jesus had no, inter I'm sorry, Jews had no interaction with Samaritans, but Jesus did. He engaged with her. He, he spoke to her of eternal life. But when he asked her to bring her husband to see him, and she, she told him that she had no hus husband, Jesus said something very, very interesting. Jesus said, you're right to say that you have no husband. 
The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Jesus was full of grace. Even speaking to this woman in the cultural setting was an extremely gracious act. Telling her of eternal life, he was full of grace, but his speech was seasoned with salt. It was truthful. Conversations with those outside the church that honor Christ's supremacy must be full of grace, but they cannot compromise what is true. They have to be seasoned with salt. They have to uphold truth. Grace and truth. We, 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 don't, we don't keep it in front of us enough as a congregation, but really it's been about two and a half years now that, that at least my prayer has been, and we've touched on this from time to time, that we would be a church that is full of grace and truth, a church known for both grace and truth. We honor Christ. We give him his place of supremacy in our lives when we have both of those things. We don't honor Christ's supremacy if we say that we're only going to be full of grace and that to do so we have to loosen our grip on truth. That doesn't honor Christ. And we don't honor Christ's supremacy if in the service of truth we abandon grace. That doesn't honor him either. We honor Christ's supremacy in our conversations with those outside the church when our speech is both full of grace and full of truth. May each of us who identify ourselves as followers of Christ use godly wisdom as we interact with those outside the church. May we be humble and tactful. May we know when to speak and when to be silent. May we listen well. May we be alert to Christ and for Christ in every moment. May we seize every opportunity that's presented us to bear witness for Christ. And may all of our conversations be full of grace and full of truth. May it be so in Jesus' name. Why don't you stand?